is, is pretty amazing. I'm kind of a fan of him. I'm a little bit biased because I work at, on a church. I'm good without the podium, for the record. <laughs> um, I work at a church, so I kind of have to be okay with the Lord, but I'm, I'm a big fan of him. He's, he's pretty amazing. Um, well, last week we talked about uh, why we should get connected to each other and why if uh, when we come into a church service, the goal is really the person sitting next to you. Like, it's, it's really awesome to come in here and listen to an amazing speaker, tell you something really awesome. You go, oh, that really means something to me. Or you hear a song that, that sticks with you throughout the week. There, there's anointing and there's glory on all of that. But really, your life changes by the people that's sitting in the pews next to you. Um, the sermons that you hear during a church service and the worship that, that we sing during a church service will not have as much lasting impact as the friendships that you're making. So last week we talked about that we need to be focusing on the people that are in the, in the room with us. And this week I just want to go through a few verses in Acts um, about some of the benefits. Like if we are going to spend so much emotional energy, because making friends is hard. When you don't know someone, you, you go out there and, hey... Are you new here? It's like, no, I've been going here for five years. Awesome. You know, it's fun when you guys do it. When I do it, it's like, aren't you the pastor? I'm like, I'm so sorry. I've, I've introduced myself a hundred times, but what's your name again? I'm so sorry. Well, it takes emotional energy and effort to do that. Why do we spend that emotional energy and effort? Some of you guys, it doesn't take any emotional energy. You're, you know, relational butterflies. And you're just, hey, what's your name? What's your name? You guys can pray for us at the end of service. Um, I want to start off with, uh, I know I said I was going to be an axe, but I'm going to start off with Matthew. Matthew 22, a guy comes up to Jesus wanting to trap him. Verse 35 says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is also equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So he said, okay, you know, the Old Testament has, you know, a handful of books. Some of them are thick books whenever you hit, like, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it's like, oh, yay, we're in Jeremiah. You know, all of that amazing stuff that's in the Old Testament, Jesus boils down into one sentence. Love God and love others. So if you get that down, you got it. It's like, but... But Jesus, what about the shellfish and the fish that don't have scales and the horses that have this and the not eating the birds without a beak and all this stuff? If you worry about loving God and loving others, you got it down pat. Because everything in the kingdom flows out of love. God's personality, his power, his character, everything that makes God who God is flows and operates out of love. Like our economy is based on the U.S. dollar. You can come in with like monopoly money all you want and you might have a great time. You might believe in that monopoly money to buy you a new Porsche and you go up to the Porsche dealer and hand him all that monopoly money. You can buy a billion different sets of monopoly money and hand him all of that and say, I want a new Porsche, please. And he's going to go, uh, you know, hire the people from like the white padded rooms and come cart you off because monopoly money is not the currency of America. Well, the currency of the kingdom of God is love. Unless, unless power flows through love, it's going to have an unintended consequence. Unless uh, an outlet is shielded by some insulator, if you go ahead and grab a hold of that power, it will have an unintended consequence. And when we tried to manipulate God into doing something because we're trying to force him into doing it, it doesn't work. 
When we try to manipulate or force someone to, into change, like anybody that's married will know, if you try to force your spouse into change, you will get blowback off of that. But if we operate in love, amazing things take place. I want to take a peek at um, right when the church was born. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people that thinks that the early church had everything perfect. They were just as messed up as we are. They had amazing things going on and they had horrendous things going on. We have amazing things going on and horrendous things. So this is not pie in the sky. Well, if we could just get back to the book of Acts church. It's not like that. But I want to take a look in um, Acts 2, 42. A lot of the times when we are basing uh, church services or church functions, this is a verse that we keep in the back of our mind. Is what we're doing in the church falling in, uh, in one of these four categories? It says in verse 42, all of, the believers, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, Sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Have you ever wondered what he meant about apostles' teaching? Well, we didn't have the New Testament when this was written. So they didn't have the book of, like the Pauline epistles, because Paul was like probably a teenager. Paul was probably 13 when this was going on. So we didn't have the gospels that we know of today. So what, what did we have? Well, mostly we had Peter. Peter was going around, Peter was a loud mouth, and he was usually the preachy apostle at, at this time. Well, anytime that we see Peter preaching, what is the thing that we see him preaching? You go through the uh, first part of the book of Acts, he preaches the gospel over and over and over again. When Stephen was being martyred, what, what was he preaching? The gospel over and over and over because the revelation of who we are as the church didn't come until Paul kind of graduated up into the faith. But what we had at the beginning was people that walked with Jesus, knew who he was and what he did. They knew that God was Jesus in flesh and he came out of heaven to come rescue us and fix everything that was broken in us. And now, all of a sudden, we have this dad that has adopted us into this amazing family. And so that's what they would preach. You'd get together and it's like, ah, oh, let's have a preaching. Well, Jesus, oh, I love the one about Jesus. Is he going to tell the story about Jesus today? Yeah, because that's the only sermon he knows. Well, in the church, if we ever get beyond what the gospel is in our lives, we've gotten in error. If the gospel ever ceases to make us like starstruck and go, that happened to me, for me, because of me, in me, and now that when I preach to other people, it happens through me. If we ever stop being awed at that, we've actually forgotten what the gospel is. So what happens in the church when we are constantly being reminded of what the gospel is, we have to remind ourselves that I am in serious need of help. A lot of the times we come into the church and we put on that, that mask. You guys don't do that. Other people do that. We have this fake, I'm good. I'm good. It's good. I've got this. I got it. It's like, man, your life's falling apart. No, no, we're good. God's going to come through, maybe. It's like, if you would just let us in and let us know that your life's falling apart, I would get to know you a little bit better. Times that my life's falling apart, if I could let you know, hey, <laughs> my life's falling apart right now, all of a sudden you get closer to me, I get closer to you. When I remind myself constantly that even though that my life's falling apart and I'm in need, I have a God who loves me so much that he came to rescue me. I remind myself like, hey, there is a part of me that is worth rescuing. And when I remind myself of that over and over and over again, all of a sudden my walls start dropping. And I can invite people in. I can get into your life when you're, when you're trying not to fix everything in your life. And when you just say, hey, I'm, I'm messed up. 
All of a sudden, we can hang out. If you will admit that you're messed up and I'll admit that I'm messed up, oh, we've got relationship right there because I can at least agree that you're messed up. Um, they said that they fellowship. By the way, I don't like the word fellowship because, like, we've used it too much. You know, when you say a, ro- or a, a word over and over and it kind of loses its meaning. Well, in the church, we say, come for the fellowship. Come for the fellowship. And I think it's lost some of the impact. Um, the Greek word um, that the New Testament uses for fellowship really talks about this give and take in a relationship. Are you going to be participating in this relationship So many of our friendships and our relationships are one-sided. They are either a constant giving or a constant drawing on somebody. It's either like you're like the tick or the dog and you have to pick one in the relationship. But fellowship is this give and take. I am participating. I am sharing in what's going on. Well, it also talks about vulnerability. So for me to give and take, I have to be vulnerable. I can't fake it for too long. I can fake it for a little while, but I can't fake it forever. And so when I'm vulnerable and I start letting my walls down, there's an intimacy that develops between us. If we are fellowshipping, I get to know who you are. All kidding aside, I know we eat a lot as a church. There is a very serious reason why we eat as often and as much as we do. Maybe not as much as we do in the South, but... There is, there is reason, there's method to whenever we get together, it's like, all right, who's bringing the food? Who's got the best recipe? Who's got the chili cook-off? There's a reason for that because we as humans are not very good at multitasking. And when we come into a room, especially with people that we don't know, we have all these walls that we put up and we are like the Fort Knox of our personality. I can't actually let you know who I am. I need to let you know who I think you want me to be. Well, it takes a tremendous amount of effort to keep those walls up. Now, if I've got some nasty barbecue sauce dripping off of my chin, and all of a sudden my attention goes on the barbecue sauce that I'm wiping off my chin, or this is the best potato salad I've ever had in my life, all of a sudden I no longer have the emotional resources to keep those walls up. And people will say stuff over dinner that you would never imagine them saying. It's like, I cannot believe that I just said that. It's like, yeah, because you weren't paying attention to being the fake you. You let your walls down and you started being really you. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about how communion originally, the original idea of communion was an actual meal. It wasn't the shot glass of Welch's grape juice and the flavorless chiclet cracker. It was a whole meal that they engaged with. There is something that, that spiritual that takes place when people share meals with each other. That's why when you go on a date with someone, you go eat. Because intimacy develops between people that share meals with each other. So the church was meeting daily to share meals. And also they were devoting themselves to prayer. No one in this room likes praying in front of people. Newsflash. And if you do like praying in front of people, you're probably not showing us the real you. Because there is something about when you pray to God, it exposes an area of your heart that we don't usually like to be exposed. We say dumb things when we pray sometimes, like our theology isn't well-crafted, like it's not overly poetic. We don't sit down and craft like our best foot forward prayers to get up. Usually it's like, and, and Jesus, that you would do the stuff and more things, Jesus. And, it's like, and you can feel yourself as you're praying, I feel like an idiot. When you're praying for someone that's sick and it's like, do the thing, Jesus. I don't don't know how to do this. We expose an area of vulnerability in our hearts that is precious to God. 
You know, when your kids are vulnerable and they're real to each other, there's something amazing. There's something that's powerful about that. When they devote themselves to prayer, they are opening and exposing a side of their heart to you guys. And you guys, when you pray, you expose an area and a side of your heart that I would never see because it's usually a side of your heart that is only exposed to God. And when I get to see a part of that, oh, goodness, I didn't realize that there was that much gold in there. I thought you were just a cranky, hateful person. But no, there's a side of you that's amazing. Do that more often. Will you pray publicly more? Because I need to see that side of you more often. Well, that's what the early church was doing. And as they engaged in these practices, notice that every one of these practices had to do with bringing those walls down, bringing those barriers down. Like, okay, all right, we live in a physically dangerous world. Back then, you know, you get cut on a shard of pottery and it's like, well, we got to cut your arm off. It's dangerous, so we've got to be defensive about those pottery shards. Well, back then, the same thing as today, it's emotionally dangerous too. And we've got to guard ourselves emotionally, but in the fellowship, in the body of believers, in the body of Christ, all of a sudden we can start letting our walls down. We can start relaxing. And when that happens, all of a sudden you get to be you, I get to be me and miracles take place when we are actually who we genuinely are. Because God will never bless your superhero alter ego. Those of us in the room that feel like we have to be Superman all the time, God does not bless Superman. He blesses Clark Kent. Because when you're trying to be Superman, you don't have any need of him. You're saying, God, I got this. I'm a spiritual giant. I don't need you. I got this. No, everything in my world's going fine. And God goes, cool, I'll be over here. If you want to be vulnerable, I'll be over here. But when we come in as Clark Kent, the bumbling idiot reporter, like, I, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't have the answers. All of a sudden, the glory of the Lord rests on that vulnerability. Well, what is the result of that? So if the church starts doing that, what is the result of that in the community? In Acts uh, 43, uh, 2.43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. If anyone has their Bible open, does anyone else's translation have a different word for awe? Teacher, teacher, and teacher. Well, a lot of translations will have the word fear. And fear came on the city. And in our minds, it's like, oh yeah, God's gonna get the lightning bolts out. If you mess with the church, we'll fry you. Well, it's not that kind of fear. Um, my grandmother on my mom's side um, She comes from holiness Pentecostal backgrounds. And so all of my great aunts, like, never cut their hair, never wore pants, never wore jewelry. Um, And if you drank coffee, some of them would look down on you for being addicted to, to caffeine. And so they thought by their list of do's and don'ts that they became holy, and my aunt, Nihilatus, because every one of them just had horrendous names. So Nihilatus would stand at family reunions and just disapprove. She had this big old bun and big long dress and she was just angry all the time because everybody was doing stuff that they weren't supposed to do and half my uncles were getting drunk on homemade moonshine in the back while the other one had a tambourine. They'd get the pianos out and start worshiping and then you couldn't tell the difference between the Pentecostals and the drunk uncles. And, but we ate really well. We ate really well. Well, um, the word for holiness that the Bible uses is different. It's not do's and don'ts. It's, there's something different about that. Has anybody ever messed up a family recipe? Someone's made the same thing every day for their entire lives, and all of a sudden something happens. I had an aunt one time that she let her sourdough starter die, 
And then she had to recreate her starter and her bread was nasty from then on out. And no one would tell her that because it'd break her heart. But it was just like, you taste it and it's like, something's different. It's like, what's different? I don't know, but there's something different. Well, what he's talking about, when awe came on the community, there was a sense in the world that as the church would move through an area, it's like, hmm, there's something different about this. I've tasted people my whole life, but all of a sudden when I come into contact with you, ooh, there's something that's kind of otherworldly. There's something mystical about you. And that's what it's saying, awe comes on on the people, not that they're afraid that God's going to strike them with a lightning bolt. Miracles, signs, and wonders were done. Um, The same power that Jesus had access to, the same power that the apostles had access to, we all have access to. Nothing's dried up. The kingdom of heaven hasn't dried up. Well, if the kingdom of heaven hasn't dried up, why in the world are we missing out on the miracles, people being healed of leprosy, being raised from the dead? Well, I'm not saying that I have the answer to this because I'm just as clueless as anybody else. But what happens if we don't see the power that the book of Acts church saw because we are not as passionate about being real and vulnerable with each other? What happens with when I am fake with you, my power line gets shut down? Because the kingdom of God flows through love. When I don't love, what happens if that is shutting down the kingdom power in my life? And I'm telling you guys, I can't afford that. And so sometimes it is easy for me to get frustrated at people. It is never easy enough for me to get frustrated at someone that I am willing to sacrifice my connection to heaven. Because once that gets shut down, I'm in a world of hurt because I've put all the eggs in that basket. I don't have enough of Justin to make it through life without the kingdom of heaven flowing in my life. So anytime that we get frustrated with each other and we want to lash out, just think, What is this angry outburst going to cost me when I'm praying for someone? And we don't do that in order to get power from God. But I have got to dedicate myself to love or else it is easier to not love. I'm going to go on in verse 44. It says, all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those that were in need. In James 4, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. This, in the list of verses, this is what I get most convicted about. Does my my life look like emptying myself out for the sake of other people? They sold their homes and possessions and gave to those that were in need. Am I willing to sell my home for somebody else? And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that we need to get too radical here because we, we need to moderate. We can't love too much because that, that starts getting a little scary. But, but goodness, like when we read through these verses, it's like, yeah, love, food. I got that, food, miraculous signs and wonders. Yeah, let's do that. Sold all their property and possessions and shared with those that were in need. It doesn't need to hit you guys, but I'm just gonna be vulnerable and say this hits me. My grandmother was, she always said that you gave until it hurt and she didn't have anything, but I really believe that one of her spiritual giftings was that of a giver. And she would just give and give and give. 
Um, she was never in, in debt. She didn't make dumb decisions like that. But if you needed something, she was there to provide it. And does my life look like hers? Am I willing to give or am I trying to just gain and amass as much possessions as I can? Skip on because, you know, too much time on that. Gets a little bit too scary. 46, they worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. In the church and in the community, worship isn't something that we force. If you have to force worship, if you have to like whip yourself into it, because sometimes we kind of have to do that. It's like, okay, I'm mad at the world. Get my worship face on. All right, let's go. No, Jesus. If we have to do that, it's because we've forgotten who he is. And sometimes, you know, we forget. I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm on staff at a church, and I forget who he is. So I, I give you guys a bye. Sometimes we forget how good God is. But when we are reminded of, man, he's amazing. He's an awesome dad, and he came after me, and I'm in a room full of people that I've been vulnerable with and have loved me through all my faults, through all my warts, through all my weird times, and I'm in a room full of people that's like, Yeah, the person at the end of the row, man, they went through a weird time, and I love them anyways. And there's that love between. It is just so easy to be thankful and worshipful in that attitude because we're not trying to fake it. We're not trying to impress God. It's just like, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for this amazing family that you've given us. Well, they worshiped in each other's homes. Notice that that the kitchen was just as sacred of a space as the temple was. And inviting someone into your house was just the same thing as driving four hours to go hear the amazing preacher outside of, you know, town. There's a saying that says that anybody's an expert if they're more than 20 miles away. We get someone in here that's not around. It's like, ooh, you have the mysteries of faith. I'm telling you, he has given this body, this room right here, everything we could ever need. The problem is I get used to you guys. You get used to me. You guys forget how amazing I am. We do, right? Like, I know the person sitting next to me. I know how loud they snore. Like, we've gone on a youth trip. Like, you snore. Jesus can't use you because you snore. You have that weird thing that you do. You have that weird personality tick. And I judge you. Same thing that Capernaum did to Jesus. And they said, isn't that just the carpenter's son? And the next verse, and Jesus could do no mighty miracles there. Because their unbelief, they got used to Jesus. He was just Jesus. The person sitting in the pew next to you, man, that's just them. They're not that amazing, but I'm telling you, the gift of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is coursing through the person that's sitting next to you if we have eyes to see it. If we are going to love that person enough to trust that God can use them just as much as he can use me. And I promise you, since there's more of you, the Lord can speak to you guys through the congregation infinitely more than he will ever speak to you from someone that's sharing this pulpit. That doesn't mean that this isn't, that there's something wrong with this. It's just there's more of you. Like imagine the amount of power that is available in the room of discovering who God is and what God is doing. That's why we're sharing the testimonies. You need to know the miracles that are taking place in the, someone that's sitting right behind you. Um, in verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. They had favor with the community. 
There are some people in the church, and I, I honestly don't think anybody in this church, but they think that the church is not doing their job unless the community hates them. It's like, well, unless we're preaching against sin, unless we're taking a line and sin, you know. And they had goodwill and favor with the people. Granted that they were also being rounded up and martyred, but they had goodwill while they were doing it. The community, by and large, needs to be impacted by what's going on in our lives. We are not looking for utopian societies. Gone are the days of us moving out into the desert and just trying to make it until Jesus shows up. That's not us. That's not what the church is. We are salt and light that is sprinkled out into the community. And as we pass by, the community is supposed to go, ooh, what is that? What God has done in you is the greatest force for the kingdom of God than you could ever imagine. Has nothing to do with our, the church's marketing strategy. Has nothing to do with the cool lights and the cool stage. Has nothing to do with the amazing music or the amazing speaking that goes on from this platform. God impacts the city of Cookville, the city of all good, Salina and even Sparta and Bloomington Springs and like in England and in Florida because of what he's done in you. If you will be vulnerable enough to let your real side show to your family, not the angry like, ah, but who you really are, the gifted child of God, if you let that show to your friends and family, oh, they can't resist it. They get drawn in it and it develops goodwill in the community. Notice that the Lord added to those that were being saved. It's the Lord's job to build his church. We do our, our, our job. We do our side of it. We're not lazy people. We work. But this is a supernatural spiritual thing. So if you've got friends and family and coworkers that you're just like, man, they are busting hell wide open. The Lord knows how to get that coworker. The Lord knows how to get that family member. He knows how to get that brother or sister, aunt and uncle, mom or dad. It doesn't require effort. It doesn't require you learning the greatest, amazing new Bible school technique. It's just you being you. And when they see Clark Kent being empowered by the Holy Spirit, they think, you know, there's something genuine about you. There's something real about you. I don't think that you're faking. You're not lying to me. There's something real, and all of a sudden, it has a riptide that pulls them up into the waves of the kingdom of God, and miracles take place when, we're, when we let our walls drop and we actually just show my, my ruggedness, the areas of me that are messed up, the areas of me that are really awesome, when you let your walls drop and I can see who, like Wayne, like I know Wayne. And so when Wayne comes to me with a word that he has from the Lord, man, I trust it because I know who he is. When some person that I don't know comes to me, it's like, I believe I have a word from you. Maybe, maybe you do. I trust my family members more than I trust some stranger off the side of the street. And the only way that I develop a trust like that is get to know who you really are. And so when we come in here for a church service on Wednesday night and on Sunday mornings, I'm telling you, you have the ability to impact this church more than anything that gets done on stage. Because we're just up here for 30 minutes in a one-way dialogue. It takes a fellowship it takes prayer. It takes you inviting people over to your home. It takes you breaking bread with each other. It takes you like discussing what the gospel has meant in your life. And all of a sudden, as we start doing that as a body, oh, amazing things start taking place. We might start seeing the signs and the wonders and the amazing miracles that we used to see. We, we might start seeing the favor in the community that we used to experience. All right. So let's